Hi, hello, and welcome to Oh Boy, the podcast presented by Man Repeller. I'm your host, Jay Bume, and today's guest is the musician Katie Alice Greer. Her band, Priests, just released one of my favorite records that I've heard in a long time, and I highly recommend that you go check it out. I first saw them play a few years ago and was blown away by their energy and attitude, and I'm so excited that their new record is out. They're on tour right now through the middle of March, and if you get the opportunity, you should definitely go check them out. Okay, let's get into it. You know, I just didn't understand why there was always this disconnect. And, like, I used to write a lot about music and stuff. And oh, cool. I just always hated, like, how people would just be, like, uh, this, like, this like female rock band. It's like, can it just be a rock band? Yeah, that shit is... is <laughs> do you know what I mean? Tiresome. Yeah. I do like, know what you mean. You know? It's just, like... <laughs> I know what you mean all too well. <laughs> and I think all of us are socialized to think in these, like, very patriarchal context whether you're a man or a woman yeah or neither yeah um and so unlearning that it is a forever process yeah you know so it's 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 cool to give yourself like a challenge like this where it's like okay yeah I won't I won't always do it exactly how I want to do it in the ideal way but like just being aware of it is a step in the right direction. Yeah, it is. I, I, the thing that I've been thinking a lot lately, I've been thinking about the parallels between Chris Farley and Melissa McCarthy. Oh, because interesting. like because they were both like people that were that are people in like big, uh, you know, like their physical size. Yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. You know, on the larger side of right, things, right. and they use that as part of their comedy. Right. But like, why was it okay for Chris Farley to do that, but not her to use that kind of physicality? Like, people are always like. You know, people would like embrace Chris Farley for the same reasons that they would kind of like criticize Melissa McCarthy for. Totally. You know, it's like Chris Farley can be like fat man in a little coat, and it's okay to and laugh get, like, at the that, cute, and then get the cute girl. In yeah. The end, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And that's okay. But with women, it's like culturally, we are still so maybe terrified of the powerlessness of undesirable women. Yeah. It's either like as a woman you don't want to identify with that. Yeah. And as a man, I don't know. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's, it, is, it is funny to unpack things like that and be like, why am I more inclined to laugh at this right. but not this? Right. Yeah, that's so, very interesting. I've been thinking about that a lot lately. But yeah, the, I, uh, the reason I wanted to talk to you is because like, I, I was filming something for the Clock Tower Gallery and for Times Square Arts. Okay. When you guys played in that movie theater. Oh shit. So you guys were the first band that played that night. Yeah. I was, I, so I like I made a video for them for that. Oh my god. And uh, I was just blown away. Cool. Because like a the opening spots always a tough spot to be in. Yeah. And you guys just came out with at like at like eleven. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you were just like like playing like to like a thousand people it felt thank like, you, you know? that's, I was that's just... great to hear because because that was also such a weird venue to play yeah with people just sitting and yeah, staring it's like, at it's you it's like it's a movie theater yeah it's seated yeah and we were told i think maybe that it had already sold out a while ago like a bunch of our friends had asked can i get tickets or can i be on the list and we were yeah. told like it sold out and maybe it was later on in the night but people weren't there when we started playing so it was also like it's seated and it's like sparsely attended yeah. which can be such a buzzkill when you're trying to like yeah. go out and be but like, but yeah. that's what i'm saying like in like in that situation i was yeah. like oh my god they're still there fucking cool. going for it i'm glad that that came off oh yeah. i loved it and like yeah, i loved your guys visuals for that too thank you yeah. that yeah you saw then the first screening of what became the music video for jj one of the songs oh, for cool. our new record awesome um yeah we used we used the the visuals that were going behind that yeah so. and then i and then i was like and then i saw like a, it was like a month ago i was like esg was playing in town and i saw that you guys were opening yeah bought my tickets and then of course like what happens what always happens is like yeah, i yeah. had to fucking work and oh. i missed it and i was just like god damn it oh man i want i'm how was that show i'm sure that incredible. was incredible sure insane i mean i thought i was gonna faint just from being in the venue at four o'clock in the afternoon and it's like I'm watching ESG sound check. Yeah. I'm watching one of my favorite bands, like from when I was, you know, eighteen, 
play a song that like is so disconnected from from modern music. Yeah. And yeah, I don't know. They were they were incredible. They're like a singular. They're a singular band. There's yeah. Nobody like that. Yeah. There no. There will be no. Right. No. Right. Um. Yeah. No. That was. And their energy on stage is really amazing. They just look like they're having a good time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's awesome. Um. Where did you grow up? I am from Michigan originally. Okay. Where I, in Michigan? I when I was, I was born in New Baltimore. Okay. It's like a really small. What zone in Michigan is that? Um, people always do the hands, yeah. you know, okay. yeah. as the, so New Baltimore is, uh, I want to say it's, you know, between the, the thumb and index finger. Okay. Uh, what was it like there? That is a, uh, I don't know what it's like now, but you know, maybe 20, 25 years ago, it was a pretty small town with a lot of fields. There was there's a lot of water in Michigan. So it's like a super rural area. Uh, between super rural and like just small town, okay. kind of somewhere in between. Um, we we lived there until I was about seven or eight. My dad is a minister, and then he was assigned to uh, another suburb, Bloomfield, Indiana. No, in Michigan. Oh, in Michigan. Okay. Yeah, it's probably maybe like an hour and a half from New Baltimore, but it's like it's more like a suburb of Metro Detroit. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, I lived I lived in Michigan until I was eighteen, and then moved to D.C. and I've been there for the past ten years. Oh, cool. Yeah. What like what kind of kid were you growing up in in Michigan? Um, hmm. Your dad was a minister, so like, was a very was it like. People always assume that, like, oh, if your dad is, like, a minister or in... And this is actually funny, too, because Juliana Barwick's dad was I, also... I was listening. Yeah. I was like, okay, yeah. yeah. I, I love hearing about other... Uh, they call them PKs. You PKs? Know, pe- preacher's kids. Preacher's kids. Um, my dad has always been really big on, you know, like, historical figures or celebrities. He'll always point out, like... Guess, guess what their dad did for a living. Oh, like, really? You know, I find a lot of times that, that minister's kids are either high achieving and very successful or just like complete psychopaths. Like I'm pretty sure John Wilkes Booth's dad is a minister. Oh really? You know, um, who else? Good company. That's good company. Yeah. Jessica Simpson, Katy Perry. So like weird celebrities. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know. I guess we're like a a weird bunch. Was it like strict? Was it like, what kind of house was it growing up? The funny thing is, yeah, it was a little strict. My mom was more strict than my dad. Um, uh, my mom and I butted heads a lot. Yeah. I think we both have really strong personalities. We get along great now. She's wonderful. I was just chatting with her on the phone as I was walking up here. Uh, but we're both incredibly stubborn. So as a teenager, I was grounded a lot. (laughs) Um, I spent a lot of time by myself as a result, which now as an adult, I'm really grateful for yeah oh yeah for sure i was i was an only child so okay i was just always just getting weird by myself right right that was exactly yeah i was doing a lot of that i was at school i um was kind of you know kind of a class clown um really kind of into like a like almost like a ferris bueller vibe of just like (laughs) how can i sneak out of this boring class or like well where did that come from where did that kind of like attitude come from? Have you ever thought about it? Yeah, boredom. Yeah. Um, boredom, knowing that getting into trouble outside of school was going to be more difficult, so I would try to make the best of getting into trouble at school a lot of times. <laughs> yeah. um, I think I was also, it was like, that was my exterior, was like fun, you know, party, funny, uh, look at me, I need attention. Yes, but yeah. then at home, I was like, you know, like many teenagers, I think I was really sad and like angsty for a lot of different reasons, uh, as most kids are. Yeah. You're just trying to figure out the world. Do, we, do you have like siblings? I have a younger brother. Okay, so you're the oldest, so you're blazing the trail. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah, I've got a younger brother, and um, he lives... My family, my mom's family is from Tennessee, so after my brother and I were both done with school, my parents moved back down there to be closer to my mom's family, and my brother ended up moving there too, Uh, so they're all pretty close, and I'm, 
I'm really close with all three of them now. That's good. But definitely once I realized there was a way that I could go live hundreds, if not thousands of miles away, I was uh -huh. like, great, yeah. I'm going to do that. So I went to to American for school. Well, you know, what, what was the first thing you were really interested in? Um, I, th I actually, I think I really wanted to be a singer when I was like a really little kid. Really? Where do you think that came, that came from? I watched a lot of cartoon Disney movies mm -hmm. and would learn all of the songs to those, you know, Lion King, Little Mermaid, the Beauty classics. and the Beast. Yes, yep. I was I was really into into singing those. Again, I loved getting attention and performing from an early age. We had like a, a picnic table in the backyard, and I would go stand on the picnic table with my little Fisher Price karaoke cassette okay. microphone. Oh yes, thing. yes, yes. I know exactly what you're talking and about. And I would just sing into that and hope that either the neighbors would hear and would want to come see my concert yeah or you know I don't know I just really liked I liked singing I liked music a lot from a really young age my I had a cassette a Walkman uh and I had like an Enya tape and a Reba McIntyre tape I love wait dude I just read something like Reba is gonna be on some new show she's gonna have like a new tv show where oh she's no like a way detective or something oh my god yeah, I love Reba I never got into her sitcom but I would totally watch a show where Reba McIntyre was solving <laughs> crimes. That sounds amazing. Did you read that article about Enya a couple years ago in The Guardian that's just about her magical life? Was it about castle? how she lives in, yeah, a castle? Yeah, and she just, like, she spends, like, 20 hours a day working on music Yeah, or I didn't read that, but I heard from a friend that, like, yeah, she lives in this enormous castle. I think that I heard that maybe, like, there was a break-in in the castle, and she just, like, barricaded herself. Yeah in her secret, secure castle. Her, like, panic room? Yeah, and maybe the help was left to their own devices, which sounded a little suspect, but so um, she sounds super weird and cool, which is what you'd want from Enya. Um, no, but yeah, so I was really into singing and performing from an early age, um, and I was also into the idea of cutting hair. I wanted to be like a singer or a hairdresser. Yeah. How are you being exposed to music? Like, how are you, how are you searching it out? Um, from from the really young age that I'm talking about right now, um, I also had like really bad night terrors as a kid. Really. I I've always had a pretty active imagination and yeah. a lot of anxiety yeah and so I they, think they go hand yeah in hand. yeah so as a yeah. really little kid it was it was very hard for me to sleep through the night without like running to my parents room or screaming for them um so my dad one day brought me a radio and was like why don't you sometimes this helps me to listen to music before bed why don't you pick a station that you like and maybe that will help and I picked the country music station which was totally baffling to my parents because neither of them were really into country music at all. Yeah. Um, but I just loved it. <laughs> like, that's how I figured out about Reba McIntyre. I had them buy me um, her album Read My Mind on cassette. I was just super into country, like country radio hits of the early 90s. Yeah. We moved to Bloomfield, which was, like, definitely a more affluent suburb yeah and suddenly the kids at school like thought that that was super weird that I liked country music like Garth Brooks yeah, yeah. like totally Garth Brooks Leon Rimes Reba McIntyre there's a lot of there were a lot of I think all of the radio was a lot of one-hit wonders in the early 90s but definitely country radio like I was just looking up the song Strawberry Wine the other day which I I don't think that woman had any other hits I think her name Deanne Carter Anyway, yeah. totally weird stuff that, like, unless you were listening to that. Um, so, yeah, then later middle school, I got more into, like, do you remember those Jock Jams compilations? Fuck yes. Okay. I have, they're, like, on my phone. Yes. There's, like, you know, they're, they're, the tracks pop up on my phone. Like, you know, I'm just, like, every once in a while, I'll be like, I like to move it, move <laughs> exactly. it. And I'm just, like... It exactly. depends who's in the car with me where I'm like, oh, how did that get on there? Right, yeah. right. Oh, yeah, I don't know what that is. No. The bucket heads, oh, man, that's my on the bomb. God. <laughs> yeah, I had at least two of those and knew all the words to those. I got really into Mariah Carey, um, was devastated when I couldn't 
figure out how to mimic her voice. Yeah. Like, I remember trying to sing her crazy, you know, like, scales and couldn't do it in second grade and was just like... <laughs> That's it. Yeah, I'm done. it was awful. I'm, yeah, I'm never going to make it. Um, yeah, so I was into stuff like that. Uh, and then as I got older, um, you know, eventually we had a computer with the internet. I, I think in sixth grade was the first time someone told me to Google, had I tried Googling an answer to homework which I was like, whoa, what is Google? That is crazy, you know? (laughs) So then got into like LimeWire and Napster and was like downloading all kinds of stuff from that. Was there stuff that you were like, was it kind of a path where you're like, oh, this person or this group's leading me to this group, to that group? Like, was there something that like, where you're like, you know, because if you're listening to country, was there something that kind of like opened you up to a different line of lineage? It was all very very fractured for me. I know some people who are like, I had this one friend, they gave me the CDs or the cassettes and and like that was, and for me it was like, you know, I'd hear a song that I liked in a movie, I got the Pleasantville soundtrack, so then I got into Billy, Buddy Holly and Fiona Apple, I think. Soundtracks were so good in the 90s. Yeah. Soundtracks were so good. Do you remember like they would like release like sequels to soundtracks for some movies, you know? It was like, that was a big... Yeah, and and my mom also really loved music, um, and for a while she was actually, when we still lived in New Baltimore for a year or two, my parents put me in a Montessori school. Okay. Because I think they just thought it would be a better place than yeah. like this little small town school, and so my mom would drive me, and we always listened to this Marvin Gaye, Tammy Terrell tape, mm-hmm. so I got really into stuff like that, like lots of Motown stuff. We also listened to like Frank Sinatra and Ella Fitzgerald, which I did not like until I was probably like 18 or 19. Yeah, I'm just starting to come around to like Frank Sinatra. Really? Yeah, just like, you know, like on Sundays on like WNYC. Do you yeah. listen to that dude, Jonathan Schwartz? No. Oh, he's like the best radio DJ. He's okay. just this old dude that like is from that time. Oh, and cool. And he was like, his like best friend is like Tony Bennett. Oh my God. And like the rhythm and the way that he talks, like there's just so much dead air and it's like, but it's cool. like, the, it's the, it's the greatest yeah. thing ever. You should check it out. That sounds great. And it's all like Frank Sinatra and like songs from like the great American songbook. I love, that was a big thing for me too. What I was going to get to with like finding music is when I did find a person who seemed to me like, okay, you have taste that is interesting to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would just try to get everything out of that, whether it was like a friend's older sibling or like a lot of times for me it was Googling stuff. But yeah, or like a radio DJ. Tony Hawk, the video game, was actually definitely my gateway into like kind of like mall punk yes. from the early yeah. 2000s. Yeah. Um, that actually ends, I went to... Jesus skateboard camp once. Whoa. Okay, wait, wait, wait. We got to unpack this for a second. Because, <laughs> like, I know of skateboard camps. Right, right. I know of Jesus camps. Right. I did not know that there was one that combined both of them. This was, like, the mother load of... Where is this? So, it was this place uh, upstate in Michigan. Definitely was not the Upper Peninsula just further up the mitten. Yeah. It was called Spring Hill. I don't know if it still exists. But my parents would send me for like a week every summer to this very standard Christian summer camp. It was just like what you'd think of summer camp, dodgeball, lake, crafts, um, cabins. But then there would be like a Bible story. Right. It was kind of boring. Yeah. Whatever. But we would always get these brochures at my dad's church about Spring Hill, which was like, it looked like this total like mecca of summer camp. There were, you could pick your theme Uh for your camp. I really wanted to do extreme sports, Yeah. but there was like paintballing in the woods and like a huge uh, floating obstacle course in the lake and just like, it was like a fancy summer camp. Yeah. So my parents were not that inclined to like spend more money for it, but living in a more affluent place, eventually that starts to influence what you're doing because when all the other kids' parents are like, well, we're going to take yeah, them, we're gonna, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So finally one summer they were like, okay. And I got into the extreme sports camp and picked skateboarding and was like 
so excited. Had you skateboarded before this? No, I had never skateboarded. (laughs) And they, you know, you weren't allowed to go on the ramps without your elbow pads and your knee pads and your helmet and everything. I think it it wasn't that long of a camp, so, like, I learned how to ollie maybe by the end of the week. But... Uh, that's I had, a good skill to have for life though yeah you know? right yeah. I mean you never know when that's gonna come in but no that's I from that I had um a bunk mate who was like have you ever heard Reliant K <laughs> and like you know like kind of like, like all like the Christian like yeah, punk bands yeah, and stuff yeah so I was kind of like oh okay and then I got into like Alkaline Trio that was like my favorite oh yeah bands um the Get Up Kids um look i still whenever reggie and the full effect comes around on tour like oh, i'll fuck. still go see them Hell play yeah <laughs> some of those they got hits you know I, look i grew up in jersey and we had a really strong punk scene in jersey growing sure. up in the late 90s like yeah. early 2000s right you know and that's just that's just in me that's just a part of me no that makes you know? sense i mean i was also really into taking back sunday and brand new which i yeah. think was long island maybe? yeah that, they were long island when i was in high school like i got to like shoot uh, videos for like uh, drive-through records. Oh and, wow! Like, I thought I was like the coolest dude. Yeah, you know, like you... shooting at like the Warp Tour and like yeah. the Skate and Surf Festival. That's amazing. And like being like, yeah, like I'm shooting like something corporate right now. Like, oh yeah. my god, I would have that. Yeah, that would have been like a dream job to yeah. me. <laughs> then um... it's so funny how like big like pop punk and emo was for so many people. I feel like this comes up in so many conversations I yeah. have. Like, it's really hard to not get a get a, avoid it well like, and nobody I, knows how to like incorporate it into their modern version of themselves because most people have like are they embarrassed you think maybe yeah it's like yeah is it I like mean, hair metal for certain people who maybe grew up in probably, the 80s probably um i'm not embarrassed by i just like all kinds of music like yeah. i listen to the radio i listen to like weird noise bands i don't you know i never understood that concept of like guilty pleasures yeah me either you know what i mean it's like if you like something you just like it like why would you feel guilty about it right genre feels more and more outdated which i'm really excited by because that has always seemed to me from an artistic standpoint or a musician like I don't have any interest in genre. Genre is like a tool for selling music. It's not really a tool for making music. That's, yeah, that's actually really profound. I'm going to let that sink in for a second. (laughs) Um, So, so, so you're like, so you're ready to, you're going to leave Michigan and like, how did you know that you wanted to go to DC specifically? Was there something that was drawing you there? No, I was trying to get as far away from home as I possibly could. Yeah, I understand. Uh, My mom kept, I was, I was in a part of the reason my parents wanted to move to Bloomfield is they had the best public schools mm. in Michigan. Uh, everyone was on a, a college preparatory track. There just wasn't really nobody was going to not go to college. So I sort of figured that was that was what I had to do. Um, my mom kept threatening that I would have to go to a state school or like community college, stay at home. Um, I found out that American was originally a United Methodist school and had this like weird obscure scholarship for ministers kids Really, where I got like half off tuition. And so I really didn't want to do college applications, but I like applied to American and applied early decision so I could find out quickly and I got in and then I was like contractually bound because I did early decision. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, so yeah. for like the next six months, my mom and I fought. I would just be like contractually bound to leave. Yeah. I, you know, I, I'm not staying here. Um, That's so, awesome. Yeah, I was. It was cool. I don't think I realized at the time that like I was moving to a brand new city where I didn't know a single person. Yeah. And had never lived on my own before besides just leaving did you have a plan of what you wanted to do you're just like i needed to get out and i'll figure it out out here that's yeah yeah that was all i really i i sort of i was i've always been interested in when i was younger i was really into politics in uh the formal way of like who is in office and who is elected yeah and i think for a while i thought I went to American thinking I was going to be a documentary filmmaker. Actually. Yeah, because they have a strong film program there. They do. Yeah, a documentary specifically. Yeah. yeah. They've got a great school of visual media. Um, and then once I was there, I was kind of swept up in it's a school, it's a it's a, a school that draws a lot of it doesn't draw the kids who go to Georgetown yeah. who are just so academically rigorous and yeah. like have a perfect 
um like track they, yeah they, they're like they're on they're on their way to somewhere right like and it's like they see the they see the steps in their ladder right yeah that's Georgetown has, I think, a, a specific kind of kid. kids. At least when I went to American in like 2006, it was definitely kids who were like a little bit weirder. Like me, I didn't have the best grades, but I also did a shit ton of extracurricular activities. Mm-hmm. So I think they were like, oh, okay, you were on the mock trial team. Yeah. You were in the school musical. Yeah. Like you played lacrosse. Uh, so it was a lot of kids who were, were very smart. And it was, it made a profound impact on me to suddenly be in social situations where people wanted to like have these really intellectually dense conversations about like foreign policy and Marxism and, you know, just the kind of the shit that people talk about when they're 18 and then you hear it or or like you hear people talking like that a few years later and you're like, oh my God, like like, you don't need to prove to everyone how smart you are. Hey, hey, it gets better. (laughs) But I mean, I think for a lot of people, myself included, the idea was that like you get out of your town and you go to college and you meet the people that you've been like waiting to meet your entire life. Yes. You know, you're like, oh, some people that are into the same weird stuff that I am and like we can just be into it together. Yes. You know, I didn't as much as I'm saying like this all made an impression on me and I did sort of feel like, oh, these people are a little more like me. I went to college thinking like, oh, this is supposed to be the best time of my life. And like it really wasn't. Yeah. It was like just this extension of high school where no, I didn't have to deal with like my parents bringing me down anymore. But like. (laughs) Uh, I still just felt like very lonely, kind of had a hard time connecting with people. Kind of what you're talking about where like, I think the way that I talked and the, and what I was interested in didn't necessarily match up with like the way I dressed or how I appeared to people. I remember I sort of became aware of like punk shows happening at AU, but I went and I, I didn't look really like a punk. Right. You know, I just, like, had blonde hair. I wore, like, I was really into these, like, hemp sandals that I had at the time. And, like, you know, I I don't know. I didn't look very punk, and I didn't really feel welcome there. I tried to hang out with the, like, Greek life people for a while. I actually joined a sorority because I didn't know how else to make friends. Yeah. And that was, like, a, a really interesting anthropological experiment for me I was like wow it's like I'm in mean girls or something but it I also wasn't really like making friends there either right you're just trying to figure it out yeah you know and just to to go back a second to what you said like that isn't that the weird thing how sometimes like and I've experienced this before in some places more than others but like that punk space should be like the safe space and it's like sometimes if you're not wearing the uniform you're almost judged more than if you would be sure in like the thing that's supposed to be the opposite of that sure you know and i i i would never want to like shit talk on punk because it's no no, no it's means, not a blanket statement yeah, i'm course. just saying me personally but there like, are, i've experienced that in a, a few times it's you like know? there are certain words that are so meaningless at this point because they mean a million different things yeah like punk feminism political like those are just things that I hear a lot that are like, so it's everyone not a has, singular, there's no sing, singular definition. Yeah. I definitely like, I was also probably just like very shy and unsure of when you have this set identity of yourself in one place, you're surrounded by people who are like, you're the class clown and like, you're funny and cool. And then you move somewhere else and you're so young, you don't know what you don't know how to communicate yourself to people. Mm-hmm. So if suddenly people are looking at you and they're like, what is your deal? You seem like a poser. You're going to maybe be like, oh, am I a poser? Yeah. Like, I don't know. Yeah. I I haven't <laughs> even thought about it. Maybe I'm a poser, you know. At least that was that was stuff that I was probably unpacking too. So it doesn't it wasn't just like, oh, kids were mean to me. It oh, no, like, no. But did you have a moment where things clicked for you? Mm, in, in- during that time? No. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> it wasn't really until, like, like after college. Um, but were, were you still, like, pursuing kind of this documentary film path? I studied visual media and then politics, and then I transferred to the art program. Mm-hmm. 
And then, no, no, excuse me, documentary filmmaking, went to the art program, eventually did, like, got my degree in political science. Okay. But never, never felt comfortable in college or, like, I really just couldn't wait till it was over. Really? I mean, I hated But it. did you like D.C.? I did like D.C. I liked it even more once I was, like, done with school yeah. and could really just explore it and figure out what what do I want to do. I spent a lot of time right after I graduated, like, feeling literally geographically lost, just walking around the city, listening to, like, uh, I'm, I'm a huge Royal Trucks fan. Yeah. So I have a lot of vivid memories of just walking around listening to Twin Infinitives, just trying to figure out what I want to do. And slowly but surely, I started finding people who wanted to make music and, like, started pursuing that really more seriously. But it wasn't until I graduated, really. So, I mean, I, I, I understand what you're saying. Like, how did you, like, what was your first kind of, like, you know, dip in your, your toe in the water moment? Um, I... Did you have friends that were playing music? So, so when I was a kid, um, I didn't have any friends who played music. I took guitar lessons for a minute, but I've always been really bad at taking instructions from other people and like understanding it. So I would just write songs by myself in my room, and I thought that was like fake music. Yeah, I thought, yeah, like this is just a. It's almost like a pretend game that I'm playing. Um, in college, I did have a friend, Roberto. He was from Germany, and we had um, a Misfits cover band that only played in our apartment um, <laughs> to our fr- we, we Actually, we played Misfits covers and uh, Clearance, uh, Creedence Clearwater Revival yeah. covers. That was our, like... Like, Misfits cover band's like the best cover band, though. Right. It's so easy. Right, right. No, it is. You it know? is. And CCR mixed in there is, like, yeah. <laughs> even even better. It was, it was awesome. So, like, slowly but surely, I'd always been, like, kind of doing this thing, but thinking, like, I'm not a real musician. I don't actually... For, like, a, like, as a, as a, like, a lark. Or yeah, like it was, a... like, I, like, I, was, I sang in the, in the choir at church when I was a kid, too. Yeah. But, like, I just didn't think I was, I was allowed to make music, maybe, or something. Yeah. And maybe getting, getting, the more I got into punk, I think I found, like, Per Ubu and Suicide when I was still in high school. Wow. And how, wait, how did you find, like... That was from the internet. Yeah. Um, I got really into... I was always trying to look up, like, lists of good music yes, that yeah. I could trust. Mm-hmm. And I found um, David Keenan. He... I think he writes for, for Wire magazine. Okay. But he had this list that was like, 100 greatest albums ever, honest. And I was like 16, 17. I was like, great. Okay. This guy this looks... This is a jump in. It looked yeah. so eclectic that I was like, okay, I believe this guy. It was everything from like, um, you know, June Carter Cash to Bell and Sebastian to Royal Trucks yeah. to Perubu to yeah. Suicide to like... So much of my music taste probably came from that list. That's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Um, so sorry, I, I I'm just no, jumping no, no, back no, no, and forth no. to all these things. Um, but yeah, no, I basically like after college, once I felt really free to just like be friends with who I want to be friends with and not be friends with who I don't want to be friends with. Like. It took maybe a couple years for things to really gel, but I was it was almost like I had crossed off everything else that I tried to do. Like I did the for a minute I was like I'm going to be a senator. I interned on Capitol Hill after school? During school. Oh, okay. Um and just realized like how much I I wanted nothing to do with like the actual office of elected politics. You know, it was like I was so naive as a kid that I thought okay, the way to really, like, make a difference and be involved is to, like, get elected and be a politician. Yeah, and fuck like, up the system from the inside. Right, yeah. right, which, you know, yeah, it's <laughs> nice that I thought that way, I guess, but Well, then, that's, it's that yeah. thing where you're like, guys, do you know about all this? <laughs> do you guys know what's happening? Like, we've got to do something about this. I remember having conversations, like, smoking weed on someone's couch after a class and being like, yeah, man, it's like all these politicians are just, like, puppets man and we were really like yeah like has anyone realized that like you know it's all just a fucking game um yeah so I definitely 
you know, I started getting more into like reading political thinkers that that I could parse out what their ideas were yeah. rather than looking up to elected officials and looking at what kind of policy they had pushed through. Yeah. That was a lot less exciting to me than, you know, finding like Nelson Mandela writings from when he was in prison or um yeah, uh Emma Goldman, I got really into to reading she has like a, a long four volume series called Living My Life. Yeah. Where she just like goes through, you know, what it was like for her immigrating to the USA and like kind of going on these street corners and like making speeches and trying to sort of agitate. Oh, that sounds I've never yeah, I've never heard of that. She's yeah, she's incredible. That's cool. Um So 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 when you're when you're leaving school, like what were you doing to pay the rent? Were you like uh, when I was in school still, I worked at um, kind of like a swanky cocktail lounge in DuPont Circle. Okay. I, I worked there all through college, like after classes and on the weekends. Um, it was a, it's a place that's owned by some people who, who also make music. And Were you working at the 18th Street Lounge? Yeah. Really? Yeah. You know what's so funny? Like I, when I was younger, like I was so into Thievery Corporation. Were you? When I was like fourteen, like fifteen, yeah. I thought like like Ursula One Thousand. Like yeah. I thought all that cool kind of like um, you know, blending of like all these different musics together, of, like from all over the world. Yeah, I loved it you so know, much, actually, and I always wanted to go to that place. It's it was it was a very that was also an education working there, in as much as like college was just yeah. being in this scene of. Because there are a lot of musicians coming in and out of there and people... That was my first time I was really interacting with, like, anyone who worked for a record label. You did an episode of the show with Kieran Gandhi. Yeah. Who also comes from that. Yeah. She and I were That's what I was just about to... Yeah, I was just about to bring that we, up. Yeah. We were both doing work for rhythm and culture at the same time. Um... <laughs> Yeah, she's. I haven't. I haven't spoken to her in a while, but she's, she's like. Uh, she's. You know, if I follow her on. Inst- you know, I follow her on social media after after we did the interview. Like, she seems to be doing really well. The story yeah. of like how she like became MIA's drummer is so wild. Yeah, she used to just sit in with. Uh, 18th Street Lounge always had live music as yeah. well as you know uh, stuff that they were just playing over the speakers. But Kieran, a lot of times, would sit in. I would be like serving the drinks and Kieran would be like doing auxiliary percussion with different musicians that they brought in. So, uh, yeah, that was super, that was super interesting. But eventually I think, yeah, I got, I got tired of the kind of, I think working in a bar or working in like a nightlife thing like that can be incredibly draining. It's tough. It's tough. And I mean, Bars close at what, at like two in, in DC? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean like my friends here who have been like bartenders, I just, it's, it's a really like, they work really hard and it's like a really tough existence, you know, like not getting home till five every night. Yes. You know, you don't get home till super late. Any sort of service industry job where people are asking for that kind of emotional labor from you. Nobody thinks about that. But if you're constantly on call and having to like put on this nice professional face, sometimes in a job like that, you're like listening to people unpack their day. But yeah, it can, I think it's, it's really exhausting. So once I was like, yeah, I'm just going to like be an artist and make my weird music, then I switched over to be, I, I've been a dog walker off and on in D.C. It's a very honorable pursuit. It's okay. It's I'm kind, serious. It's kind of like a weird, you're constantly having an existential crisis because it's just like, here I am every day at little Fluffy's house and Fluffy takes a shit. And also gives you the freedom because like you just get to like be in your own head all day long. Y- yes. Listening to music. That was extremely important for me to like I've also I've I've also worked in restaurants and done other I've had a lot of jobs to just sort it's of It's all character building though. It is. You know? It it always teaches you a lot. Um yeah, but and it's great. Dog walking is great if you are trying to start doing a band or some other kind of creative work um because at least where I worked my boss was great about us taking off time. Once Pre started going on the road. Um, yeah, so let's talk a little bit about how Pre started. Like, how did it form? Uh, yeah, totally. We, I, I had finally, I was really terrified of ever playing music in front of other people. Um, but after maybe a few months or even years, whatever, I was finally, like, feeling comfortable enough that, like, I am going to start a band now. I'm, that's what I'm doing 
and I'm pretty one track minded once I get really focused on something. Mm-hmm. So um, I was going to a lot of shows. I've, I've always gone to a lot of shows since I've lived in DC and I was at, I forget what even the band was, but I saw this, this woman there and started talking to her. She had just moved here from Brooklyn. She seemed really like just nice. And she's like, yeah, I'm a drummer. I, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to play music while I'm here. I'm here for school. And I was like, great, we're, let's start, we're going to start a band together. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> and, uh, uh, she was like, okay, great. And I wasn't feeling confident enough in my guitar skills. I wanted to bring in somebody else. I had seen this, this guy who wore weird glasses and just sort of seemed, something seemed a little different about him. Yeah. I had known him from American. He dropped out, so I didn't really know him. But I had seen him at a show a few weeks before. So I was like, yo, I just saw this guy Gideon. And like he said he's trying to jam too, so like we should invite him. And... Gideon was moving out of his girlfriend's place and like he was like yeah my my parents live in Maryland we could just go like try to jam there let's he seemed really enthusiastic about it too um so we practiced and Danielle could could keep a beat and I had never played with a drummer who could even do that yeah she's amazing she's a badass drummer she's incredible at that point when we started Priest Danielle didn't start drumming until she was 24 which a lot of people like cannot believe um but she hadn't been playing long at that point but it didn't it didn't matter to me we I think we got through like one and a half minutes of jamming and I was like great we're like the best band in DC <laughs> like this is awesome yeah um and yeah that's that is just kind of how it started that that's that that just to go back for a second like to the point of what you're making like I think now with like the recent events like in Oakland and now, like, how all these spaces are getting shut down across yeah. the country. Like, th- these these are the places where, like, culture is formed. Yeah. Like, this is, like, where it's birthed. Like, you're, you, 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 you know, you congregate in these places and you meet people that you think, like, you know, like, this is where you find each other in those yes. spaces, you know? The music that was, that was directly inspiring me to feel like I can make music in front of other people at that time was, like, the kind of punk where people don't know how to play their instruments and willfully don't learn how. It was like, like, like I said, early Royal Trucks, um, you know, teenage punk girl bands like Miko Miko, finally punk. Um, just weird. I got really into like something that Norton actually reissued is this thing called King Uznebek and the Uznebek Tones. And it's this weird ass bar band from Detroit in the 70s. I have no idea how they got it, but it's them doing all these like horrible covers of like Beach Boys songs and shit like that. And like the singer is like, he sounds pretty drunk. Like the saxophone is really out of tune. The drummer can't keep time. But I was just like, wow, there's so much character in this. Like I got really into like bad music for a while. But I guess I'm saying that because the spaces that priests first started playing shows were places where we could be like confrontationally aggressively bad and still like get booked on a yeah. on a show. Yeah. Um and if if places like that start to disappear, which they already are, yeah. um people don't have room. People have to come up with very generic parameters for their music to like you you know you have to be thinking in the mindset of like okay who's who's popular right now who has social currency who do I need to sound like right. to How, get booked on a show to get people yeah like to stay there because and like they need a certain amount of people in the space exactly. to keep it open once you have to start thinking in terms of like economics I think that's fine once you already have your your artistic ideas figured out mm-hmm. but if you have to think in those terms from day one that's never going to build like challenging interesting music that's the kind of stuff like that changes neighborhoods that changes like you know what i mean like that stuff like is felt through like every level of of you know any way that you want to look at the way that culture is is created or the you know the effect that it has on the places around it like yeah it all is like those are like the crucibles for it you know did you brian chippendale wrote a really nice essay called the paradox of life-affirming death traps 
Oh my God, what was... a fantastic title. Yeah. I haven't read that yet, you should, no. You should just read it. It's, I, think it just, I think they just published it like a day or two ago. Okay, but like... I'll, I'll look that up. Yeah, it's. I've been talking about this with friends lately because it's weird to have to explain to people who who don't come from underground music or are not already fans of it, like why they should care. And the, the most simplistic way you can put it is like uh, most of your favorite bands from the... Most of your favorite bands in general probably come from some kind of underground place. Yeah. And if we take that away and people can only start from having tons of money or in industry support, yeah. sure, good music can be made that way too, like in a completely artificial bubble. Yeah. I love radio pop. It's great. But that's not where I'm looking for like like really substantive ideas yeah. in music, I guess. I always think about how the culture that we support as a whole is always really reflecting our values. And I guess that's one reason I got really into bad music because quote unquote good music has a certain set of aesthetic values that is pushing forward. What does that say about us? okay, we live in like a super patriarchal culture. We live, you know, under the crushing fist of capitalism. If this is good music in those confines, what does bad music mean? What kinds of values come yeah. through in this other way? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, what does it mean to be a good musician? What does it mean to be a bad musician? What does it mean if like we're only obsessed with music that's incredibly technical? Or what if it's just an energy? What if you just want to see energy on stage? Yes. Or what if you want to see an attitude on exactly. stage? Exactly. You know? Exactly. And that's, like, just as important. But also, the thing about this, like, think about, like, Green Day, like, arguably one of the biggest bands in the world. Sure. Like, where did they start? You sure. know, on Gilman Street. Right. You know, like, right. at these, one of these venues. Exactly. You know? That wasn't necessarily a live-work venue, but still, it was, like, no, a, you know, a no-stakes venue. It's You're absolutely right. W what's your favorite thing that being a musician has allowed you to do? Mm. That's a big question. <laughs> I love, I guess, being able to directly connect with people about the stuff that I actually care about, that I actually want to form relationships with people over. You know, like my band. I love, I love just straight up making music. I love writing songs. I love performing them. But suddenly having a reason to like, like, okay, a perfect example. Chain and the gang was, was going on tour and, and I was like, yo, let me, let me pick some bands to open for us in these other cities. And like I listened to this podcast called TV Dinner, which was just like totally obscure, like underground, you know, 100 pressed seven inch like that yeah. style of yeah, like yeah. weird kind of femme centric avant-garde punk music some of it i didn't even know some of it i was like wow i can't believe another person listens to this i found out that the woman who did that her name was mary she had a band called neonates and i found them on Bandcamp. it was like this is my favorite band this is incredible this woman must be like i don't know this is probably like a bedroom project she must be an adult to know all this stuff but i wrote to her being like hey my band chain and the gang is, is coming to, to California, do you want to open for us? And she said, sure. And long story short, Mary Regalado eventually moved to D.C. Um, neonates, priests, and Downtown Boys went on a tour together. Mary was like, wow, Downtown Boys is my new favorite band. She joined, she's now in Downtown Boys. Yeah. But like, I guess this is a long-winded way of saying, this is someone who before I could have just written to them and been like, yo, I love your podcast, I love your band. That's the end of the email. But getting to be like, also, my band is coming to town. Do you want to play together? And then we become friends. And now, suddenly, for the first time in my life, I have these relationships with people that are built on things that like I care deeply about. So it sounds so corny. But no, it's, it doesn't. It doesn't. That, it's that just connection. Like, it's yeah. the fucking, that feeling of just like feeling connected in this world, like truly connected. Is, yes. uh, it's priceless. Yes. It and really so is. It's, it's just, it's really enabled me to like, Build. No, I'm not like in a place yet where I'm like financially, 
doing great, but yeah. I feel like so spiritually fulfilled by the people I get to surround myself with. Yeah. Which is incredible. Yeah. No, no, it's, 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 it's worth so much more than like things that, well, to some people, I mean, I, I understand yeah. what you're saying. Like it's worth so much more than like what some people place like other value on. Right. Know? Exactly. Um, you guys, uh, you, you started your own record label. Yes. How did that come about? I would not recommend to anyone starting a band and a record label at the exact same time. Yeah. I wish someone had sat me down and said, what the fuck are you thinking? Well, it's like, but you just, you get so excited. You're like, I'm hearing all this great music. Like we got, it's like the same thing with that, that politics thing, yes. right? It's like, we got to do something about no, this. No, totally. It's like, and we got to get this band out there. Danielle and Gideon and I were all so excited about our connection together and listening to music together and starting our band together. Taylor Taylor joined a year later, but yeah. like he also too. We were all just so excited to have something that we had this agency over and we could do whatever we wanted. And like, I I didn't want to reach out to people being like, oh, we recorded these songs. Do you want to put them out? Like that's just not my personality. Yeah. So Gideon had started a record label. He was he grew up in D.C. Is a big was like a, a huge Discord fanatic as a kid. Yeah, I mean um, that's just like that just sets the tempo for D.C. Yeah, you know. Yeah, or, you you have to have some kind of relationship with that. But like you know, he he had tried that as a kid and and you know basically pressed a bunch of records, lost a bunch of money. Yep. Um, wanted to try it again. I think liked the idea of doing it with other people. So we were like, let's put out our own seven inch. Let's just like figure out how to do it, and you know then we don't have to ask anybody else. We don't have to. I don't have to be like, do you like my songs? Because I don't want to be in that mindset. I want to be like, I like my songs. <laughs> I, you know, yeah, yeah. if you can get on that level, like, good for you. But <laughs> um, so we pressed the the first pre-7-inch, and um, that was the first release on Sister Polygon. Uh, eventually, I met, I met Downtown Boys the same way I just described about meeting Mary, mm -hmm. like, they opened for Chain and the Gang on a tour, and I was just like blown away by this band. We booked a show for them in DC. Priest only knew four songs at that point, so when our friends wanted an encore, we played one of the songs again. Yeah, you know, just stuff like that. Our our second seven inch was the first Downtown Boys seven inch that Gideon actually recorded. Um, yeah, it's it's again that's another thing where it's like. Sister Polygon is not a financially sustainable operation yet. None of us are making any money from that and sometimes just lose money. But finally, we've saved up and figured out a way to put out our first LP, which is what the record's coming out on. Yeah, that's just coming. I listened to it. It's oh, cool. Fucking awesome. Thank I you. I recognize like so many of the songs from that show that you guys did cool. in the movie theater. Yeah. We've been working on them for a long time, so... So this is like your first full length record. Yes. And how's that feel to like have this just like it's just it's out it's ready to be out there, you know? I'm so happy. The we could we could talk endlessly <laughs> about like what a struggle it was to make this record, like financially, emotionally, uh, in terms of band dynamics, like it took so long. But how do you push through those th those frustrating moments? <sighs> The fuck if I know. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, we, you. I think you just have to have a lot of tenacity and determination that like, you will figure it out. Like we we scrapped a bunch of recordings. We wasted a lot of money doing that. We had to save up. We had to ask friends to help us out and work for us for free and trust that we'll pay you eventually. But yeah. you know. Um, yeah, we had to really, I think, unpack a lot of stuff with each other because you can't make things with other people if you're not getting along with them. And I don't know. There were just so many different things to work through. But but we did. We made this record, and I love it. I'm, I'm glad you did, too. That's, no, thank you. No, yeah, it's, it's awesome. Um, what, what, are, what are the things that drive you to keep going forward? I have a really hard time doing work unless my desire is already there to do it, like for better or for worse. Yeah. That's why I wasn't a great student when I was in school. Like I, I cannot, I'm either, 
I wouldn't call myself lazy because when I'm invested in something I really love and am excited by, mm-hmm. I'm a very hard worker and like an obsessive worker, but I can't be bothered with shit that I can't be bothered with. So it's almost like I just I just get up every day and like am following what I'm inspired by. That's why I don't have enough money yet because like I wish that I cared more. I'm going to have to figure out how to care more and I'm trying to because like, you know, I don't have health care. I don't have like all this shit figured out. It's irresponsible for me to not care about those things. Um, I just went to the dentist for the first time in 10 years. Damn. Not fun. No, I bet. Not fun. Oh my God, I'm dreading that. Like I left with like one less tooth in my mouth. Right. You know? Fuck. (laughs) Yeah, that's, that's, I mean, I'm hoping, I'm trying to get, I couldn't prove that I lived in a place for a long time because, like, I had a Michigan ID, and then I lost that, and, like, I was subletting everywhere in D.C., and then I I finally got a license, so I think I can finally prove that I live somewhere, so I'm hoping I'll get some kind of, you know, We need more services to, like, help figure it out for people, you know, there needs to be more. Yes. Uh, Yes. (laughs) Especially for people who do creative work. I mean, I think that's a lot of times why people like end up, you make those compromises with the work you're trying to do because you're literally just trying to like survive and buy groceries and like pay rent. So yeah, I, I think about that a lot. Like our culture really just doesn't give a shit about creative stuff. My friend, yeah. my friend in France is a musician, and if you play like a certain amount of shows a year yeah. in France, they subsidize your income for yes. the rest of the year. I was just going to say, it's, it's uh, probably oversimplifying things to always go back to like, well, I've toured in Europe, and like, they actually like music there and <laughs> art, but it is kind of like they do. They, it's even built into their, their government and infrastructure in a way that... It is not in the United States. I think we're going to see that more and more. And the stuff that is happening with underground spaces is, is, is a manifestation of that, too. You know, like, and we have a, a, an administration coming in that will definitely be slashing. I'm not really one to advocate for, like, oh, we have to make things better by getting government funding. But at the right. same time, like... In the interim, we we you kind of do need people in power who respect how that is involved in the health of society and the well-being of that. And if you're constantly shutting that down, you will see the ripple effects of that. I mean, look at this neighborhood that we're in right now. Right. It all happened because of like some shows. Right. No, totally. Some, some shows and like some like abandoned warehouses. Yes. That was like the genesis of like. For better or worse. That is, you know, that is a weird thing about also being some kind of fringe or underground musician is like you are part of the wheels of gentrification, whether you want to be or not. Right. You move to a cheap place. You are part of making it cool. Right. To like people with money. Right. People with money move there because they want to be cool. And then everyone who was living there because it's affordable has to move out because their building is being sold to a developer to be like smashed down and like built up. Yeah. Right. And it's hard to figure out how to sit with that and how to, how to resist that. There's no perfect answer, but I think that just trying to, to be community minded, especially in times like this where, the only way we're going to survive uh, the Trump administration is like learning how we all are part of, sorry, again, sounds corny, but like a team and like you can't resist by yourself. You have to like see how you're connected with other people in your community who will need your help too and like you'll need them, things like that. Yeah, no, that's true. So with this record coming out, you know, what are your hopes for it? You know, where, where do you want it to end up? Like, what do you want your next year to be? I mean, first and foremost, like when we finally finished this and I first sat down and listened to the whole mastered thing, um, it was an amazing feeling to be like, I don't in my heart of hearts really care if no one else likes this record. Like I love it. I'm so proud of it and like, fuck yeah. 
Um, so in that way, if no one cares, fine. I'll make another record. Like, yep. I love making music. I'm yeah. going to keep doing that. Uh, I mean, but, you know, fuck, if everybody buys it and <laughs> loves it, that's cool with me, too. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. like, we we have definitely been very slow with our process of, of trying to become a professional band. There was a long time when part of this record is about this past couple of years of even trying to figure out, do I really want to be a professional musician? Like, is there a way that I can do this and still wake up every day feeling like inspired by the work I'm trying to do? Mm-hmm. Um, do I want to be involved in this like industry that seems really fucked? And then I worked in a restaurant that I hated and was like, oh, no, it's actually like capitalism is horrible and every industry is fucked. So like, why don't I actually try to just keep doing the work that I want to yeah. do? And make sure that your voice is in there, too. Yeah, that like, you know? that for sure, too. Um, so, yeah, if 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 we can like make money from putting out this record, <laughs> yeah. that would be tight. Uh, if not, you know, I'm still going to like hopefully just start writing songs with my bandmates again. All four of us have other music projects that we do too. So it becomes increasingly difficult to even just like schedule time to write songs together. Yeah. Um, I'm really excited about like, I started, uh, I put out a tape this year of just some like electronic music that I've been making. Oh, uh, wait, what was that called? Just my initials, K-A-G. Okay. I feel like I might've heard something from that. Cool. Have you ever seen that uh, online newspaper, Fuck the Media? No. Oh, my God. No, I'm going to write this down. That's definitely part of part of priest's community and, and mythology. Yeah, it's a, an ad-free online newspaper edited by Liz Pelly and Faye Orlov. Um, it's been... I've, I've done a column there called Fan Club where I interview different... It's usually musicians, yeah. but just the original idea of it was like, I'm just going to talk to people about music that like they're obsessed with or what they're a fan of, what drives them. Uh, a lot of times the conversations spin off into a lot of other things too. Um, I got to tell you, like, and this is like, and this is one thing that bums me out. I was like, you know, when I, I moved here, I've been in this neighborhood for like 11 years and oh, wow. uh, I was at shows every night for years yeah. I actually made, like, a, my first feature film was a documentary about, like, the DIY music scene. Oh, wow. It's called Todd P. Goes to Austin. Oh. And it's about, like, Mika Miko, Shit. Matt and Kim, Dan Deacon, The Death Set. Oh, um, my God. Yeah, all these bands and, like, to- and, and Todd. And, uh, like, this was, like, when, like, Eden and Joe were working for Todd. And it I was, was just, yeah. <laughs> Eden, I, I love Eden. Yeah. Yeah, he's a special person. And um and I guess I just got to this point like once like all my favorite venues started getting closed down. Uh-huh. You know, like that was my favorite thing in the world was to be able to just like walk around the corner and just go to how, Death by Audio. I was going to say how far is Death by Audio it's from two here? Blocks two from blocks. Here. That is probably the other besides stuff in DC, like Death by Audio was a huge part of Priests like developing as a band. Yeah. I mean, we were all so so devastated when that closed. And, it's, um, and yeah. it's just, I mean, like, so I've been, like I said, I've been here 11 years. I've seen this neighborhood change, you know, and it's mm-hmm. like you can't get upset about it because otherwise you're just walking around with that, like, sadness all the time. Sure. But Death by Audio was just like, to me, that was like the perfect venue. Yeah. That was just like the perfect venue. It was like the music, the the way that it felt when you're in there, the sound, the just like, to me, that's like, that's how I want to experience live music. Yes. You know? And that that whole thing was... Like, talk about figuring out ways. I've been having these conversations with people a lot lately about, like, a lot of, I've heard a lot of people be like, man, ever since I woke up on November 9th and realized that Donald Trump was going to be president, I've thought, like, I don't think I should be a musician anymore. Like, I got to do something, like, more serious. Like, I got to, like, be on the front lines. And it's like, you can already be on the front lines just by, like, the choices that you're making with the life you already lead. Mm -hmm. Like... I get it that Vice gives people a lot of money to do work. Vice also destroyed a nucleus of underground music. Right. And Vice is supposed to be essentially this, you know, art and culture publication covering the things that come out of there. So once you have this, you know, bloated corporate monster gobbling up the thing 
that it's supposed to have this this ostensibly symbiotic relationship with yeah like there is something wrong yeah i don't think any one of us can be the one to stop it yeah but maybe if we all just start thinking about where we're taking our money from who we are enabling when we give our work where where we publish it to you know just making these choices like that Maybe if we're all just trying to be more thoughtful with how we do things, we can, we can prevent that from happening in the future. Yeah. Because I would love if everyone just pulled out of Vice. I think Vice has too much power for people to do that right now. Like, I get it that there's a lot of people who are like, all right, well, you know, that's, that is my platform. Or, like, that's where I get my... And it's like, it's not just Vice. There's a lot of... You know, and, and a lot of like, yeah, a lot of people like in, and it's like, yeah, like, you know, certain websites or stuff like that, where like, they seem like the be all end all of it, but it's not, it's like where you're going to be tonight performing. Like, that's where it is. And like, I, for me, like I somehow, like, I just got, I just like got beat down that I just got like so bummed out that, uh, I don't know. I kind of just like stopped going to shows. That's understandable. It's and also... I hate that. I hate that because I remember the fucking feeling. I still feel it very viscerally of like, you know, the first show that I went to here in town, <clears throat> you know, I remember that first time I saw like Matt and Kim play mm-hmm. and I just remember the feeling that like it got me excited about music again in a way that yeah. I hadn't felt in like years. The other thing. And that's like really important. Underground music. The reason why everyone risks burnout like that, I think is because you are not just a spectator consuming entertainment. You are a part of it. Yeah. Which is why it feels exciting like that. Yep. You're like, wow, I'm witnessing this thing. And like, this is inspiring me to go do this other thing. And Completely. like, you're really, really involved. So I totally understand that of like, when your places start, start to shut down, it's kind of like, it, it definitely hits you in a different way than just like something that you're, I don't know, that you're less invested in emotionally or financially or whatever else. And that's just, you know, that's just how it goes and that's okay. Yeah. I'm also, I'm getting old. Yeah, no, I'm not. All, no, no, no. I'm just, I'm, it's I know. For, all this stuff's for, for anybody. But, <laughs> but yeah, Liz and Faye, who started the media, they're they just published their seventy fourth issue. It's been going since I guess twenty thirteen now. But I think both of them started that. They were working at um, a small like kind of alternative paper in Boston, mm-hmm. and they got laid off from that, and were like we're going to start a paper where it doesn't rely on like advertisers and we can publish what we want. Um, Similar spirit to like how Priest started really. And it's been so cool to like grow with them over time and for all of us to kind of have still that enthusiasm and have our naive, passionate ideas confronted with like, okay, yes, do your thing without the advertising money. How are you going to pay your rent? Like, how are you still going to interact with the machine that like you essentially, you can't totally avoid. Right. How are you going to make this stuff work? Um, but maybe because you're investing in it in that way, it keeps you going more even when it gets difficult. Yeah. No, I agree. What, uh, what's next for you? Uh, hopefully touring a lot. Yeah. We're going on a big tour in February. Awesome. Um, like a big US tour. We're playing some festivals this summer, which I'm really excited about. That's great. Gonna go to Europe. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Just hopefully like making more music, stuff like that. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, Katie Alice Greer, thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Jay. Yeah, of course.